Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Great to be back here with you on a Move the Sticks Monday. I am Rhett Lewis here with our former NFL scouts, lead draft analyst Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, ready to rock and roll here. Guys, were you into drama this weekend? Because we had a record-setting day, I feel like, on both sides of the spectrum. Justin Tucker... Justin Fields and the sacks. The tail of two justice. Yes, it was indeed. Uh, let's kick this thing off kind of like we have been on Mondays for the last couple of years with some of our biggest takeaways from the biggest games. Let's get it rolling with our big three here this Monday. And we'll start with the marquee game of the week. Bucks. And Rams right next door at SoFi. Explosive plays. Again, a key for the Rams offense. Exploiting the Bucks defense down the field. Matthew Stafford, two more vertical throw touchdowns in this game, including that 75-yarder to Deshaun Jackson, giving Staff six for the season so far. Already as many vertical throw touchdowns for Stafford right now as Jared Goff had all season last year for the Rams. They win comfortably. And you look at Stafford. Just total TDs. He's got nine right now, as many as Kurt Warner did last time they won the Super Bowl back in 1999. And then in his other MVP season, Warner had eight uh, in 01 when they ended up losing the Super Bowl to the Patriots. So it's been a record-setting start for Matthew Stafford in the Rams. How do you judge, DJ, the early returns after all that was billed from this Stafford-McVay relationship. Well, I, I was thinking about it. I was hearkening back to my days as a young kid when you go to the amusement park, and you'd get there, you're all excited, then you realize, wait a second, Space Mountain's closed today? Like, we can't ride that ride? All of the rides are open in this Sean McVay <laughs> offense right now. They can do You've whatever they the want. you the height maximum. <laughs> Absolutely. You are tall Minimum. enough. You can yeah. ride everything. The rides are all open. Uh, but pushing the ball vertically down the field, it's added a new element to this offense. And really, when I watch the tape, I'm looking at the three Ds. We talked about the three Ps before, Buck. It was the three Ds. The design, the ability to defeat coverage, what these wideouts can do, specifically Cooper Cup underneath and Deshaun Jackson over the top, and then deliver the ball accurately. When they've got that rolling, good luck stopping them. Oh. Yeah, good luck stopping them because the quarterback is one of the guys that every offensive coordinator would want because he can make the X and O's come to life, meaning anything that you creatively draw from the whiteboard he has a quarterback that can get it done. And when you think about Matthew Stafford and this connection that he has with Deshaun Jackson, it is phenomenal because Deshaun Jackson has been in the league for well over a decade, but yet time after time he continues to deliver these big plays. That explosive element has opened it up for Jan Van Jefferson and Cooper Cup and some of the other guys. Yeah, can we just – yeah, here we go. Just I just want everybody to just want to sit back for a minute. Just just take a <laughs> second and just, just relax and appreciate the route running clinic that my man Cooper Cup put on yet again this season. I just want to just sit back and breathe it in a little bit because it has been phenomenal to watch. In fact – Cooper Cup is now on, is now exceeding the pace, the record-setting pace that Randy Moss and the Patriots put up in 07. He's the first player since Moss with 350-plus receiving yards and five or more receiving touchdowns through his team's first three games. Now, we talk a lot about the cliches, like, oh, receiver and quarterback putting in the time together, you know, preparing. If you go watch a Rams practice we did during training camp, they were, like, hip-to-hip. 
always. And they are putting in the time and clearly seeing the, fr the fruits of their labor with their connection so far this season. Huge piece of the Rams' offensive success. Uh, all right, let's keep the big three rolling here with game number two. And for that, we are going to head back to Sunday night football. In Santa Clara, Packers jumped on the 49ers in a hurry on Sunday night, up 17-0. Niners didn't score their first points of the game until the final snap of the first half when Trey Lance got in the end zone from a yard out. One of just two snaps, by the way, for the rookie QB. Jimmy Garoppolo did engineer a go-ahead touchdown drive with uh, just about 37 seconds remaining. But apparently that was too much time for Aaron Rodgers. Got them in position for a 51-yard game winner from Mason Crosby as time expired. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said after the game when asked, uh, did you feel like you were worried there um, that you left too much time for Aaron Rodgers? He was like, yes, <laughs> I was worried. You're always worried with that guy on the sideline. So, uh, DJ, what impressed you most about what Rodgers was able to do this week? Well, to me, it was being selectively aggressive. In other words, when you have your opportunities and you need to push the ball down the field, we saw it especially there at the end, he was able to do that. But otherwise, just let the game come to you. Take the easy completions. Make those you know, somewhat boring throws that are out there. And he did that. But, Buck, when it was time to let it rip at the end of the game, when you need two big completions, huge chunk plays to give yourself a chance to make it happen, that's when Aaron Rodgers is one of the few guys that can do that. There's just not many of those guys in this league. No, there are not many guys who can do that. And what I love about uh, what Aaron Rodgers was able to do, at the end of the day, he said, look, I'm going to my best player. You know where it's going. I know where it's going, and I'm going to find a way to make it. And that throw that he, the first completion on that two-minute drive was an absolute dime, dropped it mm. over top of Fred Warner. Then he comes back, flips the formation, hits another square in. The fact that Devontae Adams has 12 receptions, everyone knows he's the number one receiver. And the secondary, the complimentary receiver, is so noticeably below him. I am surprised that each and every week that Devontae Adams is able to have the success against teams that know that he's getting it, but he still yeah. can't somehow find a way to well, I, I know, look, we got other places to go on the show, but baffling <laughs> coverage choices on those final yeah. two plays. I mean, what they were – you've got it. To me, it's two-man. You're going to trail underneath Devontae Adams. He was cut free on the first one. Right. On the second one, they're matched up man everywhere else except on his side of the field. It didn't make any sense to me. They were short on corners in this game, too. Josh Norman left into the first half. Kevon Williams left uh, as well. And they already had Jason Barrett, who, who's out for mm. the season now, too. So definitely thin at cornerback. I was really surprised at the lack of volume in the run game by the 49ers. Yeah. Remember, in these matchups mm -hmm. before, the 49ers just dominated running the ball up and down the field on the Packers. And in this game, you know, look, they're depleted at the running back spot, too, with, with uh, Raheem Mostert out, with well, their Elijah best, their, Mitchell their, out. Their best runner was holding a clipboard. <laughs> We've been arguing. With Trey Lance? Get right. Trey Lance yes. on the right. field. You want to spark yes. that run game, you've got somebody that can get that done. Well, and maybe one of the reasons Kenny Clark was an absolute mismatch in this game in the center of that uh, yeah. Packers defensive Knocked line. Knocked Alex Mack back into the backfield a couple of different occasions. Still 10 carries, 31 yards for Trey Sermon wasn't particularly impressive. I am kind of curious, though, in the coaching staff with this one. There's so much mm -hmm. familiarity here, right, with Matt, with Matt LaFleur and with Shanahan and even with Joe Barry now, Bucky, running this defense uh, for the Packers. Do you feel like that maybe had an impact here at all? Well, I think so. I think because Joe Barry spent a lot of time with Sean McVay and the Rams. And so every day in practice, he got a chance to see this offense yeah. work. He got to see what gives it problems, how it cars up teams. He saw it. In game day, and so because of that, he's able to take all that experience and now facing Shanahan, 
who Sean McVay and a lot of these guys learned the offense from. Yeah. He's able to apply those lessons. It was a very impressive performance for the Green Bay Packers, one that I don't know if many of us thought that they would be able to slow down the run game like that. I also thought, though, this just kind of crystallizes what we were saying before the draft. Why did the 49ers make the decision to draft Trey Lance? Because yeah. when you have Jimmy Garoppolo high floor, I get that. You've got a very high floor, but the ceiling, you are banging your head on that ceiling. Now, right. Trey Lance, you might have to live with some. You're going to have some weeks you're not going to love it, but the ceiling to compete against the elite teams like the Packers, who they're going to sure. see in the postseason, I just think Trey Lance gives you more potential with what this offense can be. Just two snaps in this game. Um, yeah, so we'll see if that increases here moving forward for the 49ers. Final game of our big three. Let's go to Minneapolis. Vikings probably should have had win number one of the season last week and a makeable field goal miss for a win against Arizona. Well, it was clear that Kirk Cousins was not going to leave it to the kicker this week. Absolutely phenomenal performance. Surgical, cutting up that Hawks defense. 30-38, 323 yards and three touchdowns through the air, all without the threat of Dalvin Cook on the ground. He was inactive. Alexander Madison shouldering the load on the ground. 30-17, the final Minnesota gets win number one. DJ, Kirk Cousins is rolling. Yeah, look, we've seen Kirk Cousins have moments, right? Mm -hmm. I, I would put this game tape up against any that I've right seen. Right up there. This as well as I've seen him play. He was outstanding. It was the timing. It was the ball placement. Back foot ball is gone. Uh, there was an inbreaker for a touchdown in this game, which is as good a throw as you're going to see. That was back foot as he's coming out of the great, uh, break mm. buck, put it right on his face mask. I thought, to me, the vision that he had, even though he's under a little bit of pressure, not too yeah. much, but his field vision stood out. He knew exactly where to go with the football. Yeah, and going to Justin Jefferson was a great move in this one. As you see him, I mean, that's wide open. How does a guy who caught 1,400 yards of the receiving last year and was arguably one of the rookies of the year uh, end up that wide open? The scheme, I thought, with Clint Kubiak, uh, now with Cousins, man, they're in lockstep right now. Buddy. They were in lockstep, and what I liked about it, this was a game where they were almost 50-50 balanced in terms of run-pass yeah. ratio. 38 pass attempts, 34 rush attempts. Did a great job of using that complimentary run, play action part of it. And Alexander Madison coming off having 100 plus yards, that allowed them to set the table and dictate the terms. And this is a team that when they play this way, they're very difficult to beat because they can play keep away, keep that veteran-laden defense on the sideline, and allow those guys to close out games in the fourth quarter, which is what they were able to do against the Seahawks. Yeah, and look, I mean, Justin Jefferson, as I mentioned, wide open. Six of his catches, he had three or more yards of separation. Now, some of that was scheme. Some of that was they just beating up on the Seattle corners yes. a little bit. And, and look, that's not the only place where they look different this year. On offense as well, just seven points in each of the last two second halves, Bucky. Yeah, this is a big problem. And part of this is Shane Waldron, the new offense coordinator, came over from the Rams. First time play caller, trying to figure it out, trying to figure out all the pieces. So what the Seahawks have been good at, they've been good at coming out the box, putting points on the board. That's because it coincides with their opening script. The issue that you have is once you get off the script, you get into now you kind of freestyle calling game, calling the game. Do you have enough in your bag to make adjustments? Can you see what the defense is doing and figure out how to attack maybe a changing tactic? Can you figure out a way to get your playmakers going? Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf and Russell Wilson, do you have plays for that? So as he continues to gain more experience and expertise with this set of players, He'll get better, but they have to be better in the second half. Well, a couple of things. Number one, I'm going to bet on Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson to figure, figure things out. out. They always do. Whatever struggles they have early in the year, they figure it out. And John Schneider has shown in the past, if this roster has an issue, he's not afraid yeah, in season to be aggressive right. and go get some help. Yeah, it was just last year they started out hot yeah. and then kind of trailed off uh, before ultimately uh, winning the division. The Chargers opportunistic in this game, both on defense and on offense, turning four Chiefs turnovers into 21 points, including 14 points in the first half alone. 
that gave them the lead at the break. Chiefs would make this a game in the second half, but here's Justin Herbert and Brandon Staley on the win. It means everything to us. Um, you know, we've worked so hard ever since this offseason and, and all of the time that we've spent together uh, to be put into this position for these exact moments. And uh, we've got the right guys out there. And, and I know that uh, Coach Staley believes in us. Coach Joe Lombardi believes in us. And, and for us to go back out there on fourth and nine uh, to win the game, that's, that's awesome for us. Fortunate we have a, you know, a gangster quarterback. Um, but we got to coach better in that, in, that, um, in that part of it. But just the situational part, it, it, it happens like this first great teams. And that's a great team that we just played. So it's a, to finish these types of games, you got to play well at the end. And I felt like we did that today. Well, gangster quarterback there. All right, Brandon Staley. I like that. I mean, that's a pretty good description. I mean, Herbert uh, absolutely gets it done. And uh, let's start, though, with this game. And, uh, look, the, the Chargers' defensive game plan really seemed to work, especially in that first half. Uh, what, what were they doing differently to Patrick Mahomes that maybe other teams haven't done? Well, you're seeing some other teams try and do this, yeah. but the Chargers executed it beautifully. Right. And talking to Brandon Staley before this game, he was very confident. They had a very good plan. And it wasn't just – parking those two safeties high and trying to put a lid on things and keep things in front of you. It was having a plan in the back end. Other teams have tried that, but I thought they did a wonderful job with their plan with their rush. They did not get caught up field, but maybe once or twice, one of which Mahomes had the no look, which ended up being an interception. But they did not allow him to be able to run up into the pocket, shoulders square to the line of scrimmage, and be able to access the whole field. When he extended plays, he was rolling to the right, he was rolling to the left. The Chargers have speed at linebacker now. They have guys that can mirror and close with Kaiser White and Drew Tranquil and company. Uh, I just thought it was a masterful game plan, forcing them to be patient. Because when you look at it, th let me just go through their possessions in the first half. <laughs> On the 10th play, it was an interception. Fifth play, fumble. Sixth play, fumble. They get all the way down second and five down inside the red zone. They have a penalty. Um, a field goal, uh, sorry, field goal was on, you know, where they stopped where they had the false start. So they're just waiting for you to make that one play mistake. And, and the Chiefs, that's what they, what they did. Yeah. You know, what I love about the game plan, you talked about parking the safeties in the parking lot and taking away the deep ball. Well, one of the things you want to do against Andy Reid and with Patrick Mahomes, you want to take away the big plays. When you take away the big plays and force them to play a very disciplined game, sometimes you grow impatient and tired of trying to be a disciplined quarterback. And what we saw from Patrick Mahomes and what we've seen the last couple of weeks, he is now giving the ball to the other team. And when you factor that in and Clyde Edwards-Alard and Tyreek Hill and other guys not taking care of the ball, the game plan gives you an opportunity to feast on those extra plays and you, we've said it, we've talked about it, 10 or more plays in yeah. a drive, the odds begin to work against yep. you being able to finish the drive. The Chargers put together a great game plan against a team that is explosive as one that we've seen. At the end of the day, you still need 30 to beat the Chiefs. We've yeah. said that uh, you yeah. got to score 30, and the Chargers were able to get there. Justin Herbert was outstanding. You saw the aggressiveness with the play call to go for it on fourth and nine, showing the belief in his gangster quarterback, which, which begs the question, <laughs> is SoFi a gangster's paradise? <laughs> no. But to me, they were able to match and make those big plays and big throws. Mike Williams, oh, Arrowhead, Williams. they've talked about him in this offense, the offense that the Saints had run with Coach Lombardi and you look at what Michael Thomas did and before the season we said, okay, that's going to be Mike Williams. It He's is. delivering. Yeah. He is delivering big time. Mike Williams is off to a torrid start to the season. Absolutely phenomenal here, including a couple of touchdowns in this win for the Chargers. Now let's get to the Chiefs side of things here. We're talking about the last place team in the AFC West through week three here. Last time we saw that was week six. 2015, Patrick Mahomes wasn't even a chief yet. 
at that point. Uh, this is the last time they had a losing record also that season, and then consecutive losses. I uh, haven't seen that since 2019. And so now I feel like we need to take the Chiefs into the body shop a little bit. Do we need to, do we need to just kind of roll up the sleeves here a little bit? Is, wow. that, is that kind of what needs to happen here? Is that here? kind of body shop it is, doing? It's not, oh, it's not? It's, oh, shoot. Okay, well, I've already got one. I'll just leave it one. Uh, all right, so let's start with the turnovers, Bucky, because that is the glaring problem in this game. Four of them, three in the first half. They're not going to have that every game, but how did that factor in this week? Well, there's a level of nonchalance and athletic arrogance that surrounds the Kansas City Chiefs. Because they've been a dominant team, they've won a ton of games. Uh, they kind of expect to roll out the balls and be able to deliver a W. And what you saw from this team is their carelessness and their recklessness has led to turnovers. And now because they're getting beat because of their turnovers and because of some of the bonehead plays that they're making, Andy Reid has to step in and dial it back. And so this has to be a situation where on the practice field, Andy Reid and his coaching staff, they're really harping on the details, making sure that the guys – Pay attention to the details. You can't have no-look passes and all that other stuff. It's cute when it works, but it's detrimental when you have a red zone turnover. They just need to get back to playing disciplined football. When they play with discipline, they put up a lot of points, and then it's fun all over again in Kansas City. Then you get Frank Clark back defensively to pair up with Chris Jones. That'll help that defensive front. But offensively, you touched on some of those issues, Bucky. Holding on to the football at the running back position is going to be huge. If you're going to have to sustain drives, you know every single time they're going to be punching at that ball. That's two weeks in a row. Clyde Edwards-Lair had big fumbles. And I would look at, at that running back position specifically in the offseason. Yeah. Not going to be able to do it now. But because they see so many light boxes, to me it makes sense. Go get you a track star back there at the running back position because there's nothing but space. Let's turn these 5, 8, 10-yard runs into 20, 25, 30-yard runs and see if you can't scare teams out of those two high safety looks that they're going to see each and every week this year. Yeah, Travis Etienne kind of feels like a guy that would have fit that bill for the Chiefs. Yeah, I was going you know back even I mean? old. Like, yeah. I was just going old school. Like Chris Johnson Chris would Johnson rush for 2,500 yeah. yards Ooh. in, this, in yeah. this system. That's good. It, but look, going back to that no-look pass, like – we all, everyone understands, we love the no-look stuff and the off-platform, all the stuff that Patrick Mahomes does, but he didn't need it there. Like, well, do you well, need it let, when the guy's running? Let, let Marcus Kemp's wide open. I know, I, I don't know if, you, Hoop, I know he does. I'll, I'll talk to you, Buck. Um, when, you, when you go no-look in the middle of a play, when you've got a defender there and there's a point to it, yeah. when you're on a two-on-none fast break, the no-look pass serves absolutely oh. no purpose. There's oh. nobody in There's the middle of the field. There. He's literally by himself. He's wide open. There's no need for it. It just it was unnecessary. Like, who are you trying to, def- who are you trying to fool? Who I don't no know. To fool? No, there's no one to fool, but if it works, man, you see how spectacular that was? There was a lot of room there. <laughs> like, I don't know if you've been – like, it's been a while since I've played a little basketball, but, you know, you get a little fast break every now and then. You got a break three-on-one. You got, like, a little kid, a little 14-year-old. You give him the no-look <laughs> just to do it. You run out, exit stage right. Make That's what pass. Pat Mahomes is trying yeah. to do. Yeah. All right. You're more of a chess pass guy. I've got you more of a Oh, my, more I of a, my, I'm more of a pin, soccer guy. My Princeton like basketball players over here. No, no flash, no pizzazz. Come oh, on. boy, let's go. I got my sleeves rolled up. I was ready to go to work. You guys. All right. And now, here on this Move the Sticks Monday, time for one of our favorite segments. It is the Elite Eight, where we are going to kind of give you eight different looks at the Sunday that was all under the umbrella of a common theme. Rhett Lewis, Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, Back here with you this week's theme, and cue the person sliding across the floor here in front of the camera, is risky business. Okay, no, Tom? Okay, nope. Uh, all right, it, it, risky business, right? So maybe risks that paid off, maybe those that didn't. Let's start with one that you kind of had to take if you were Baltimore here, DJ. Yeah, we say at the end of the game you want to put the ball in the hands of your best player. 
or, or feet, on apparently. The because yeah. the Baltimore Ravens selecting to go for a 66-yard field goal instead of trying to chuck a Hail Mary. And Justin Tucker, with a little assistance here from the crossbar, is able to get it through. I like it. You want to end the game with your best guy out there. That was your best shot, as crazy Look as that Lions sounds. Fans. For 66 oh, yards. Gosh. Take the risk, and they're in good business. Uh, I was there, Lions fans. Uh, like, oh, yeah, it must have been like six, seven years ago now. <laughs> Tucker kicked a 61-yarder yes. on a Monday night that effectively ended uh, any hopes of a Lions playoff run that year. All right. Uh, on the flip side, a long field goal that did not quite work out. Down in Jacksonville, Cardinals into the first half, kicking a 68-yarder from Matt Prater, who, by the way, hit a 62-yarder last week. So I get why you were trying to go for it. And then probably would have been good from 66. Jamal Agnew is one of the best returners in football and showed you why here. Look, I don't mind Cliff Kingsbury with the risk here going for the field goal, knowing your, your kicker's got the leg. You just got to cover this better. Yeah. You've got to practice this, right? This is situational football. You've got to cover that better. I wish, you know, Jaguars would have capitalized on that momentum a little bit more. Yeah, no, they have to cover that one better. Seabass like, would have had that, by the way. Yeah, oh, Seabass <laughs> would have knocked it in. So I want to go and turn my attention to just thinking about Matthew Stafford going to the Rams and how Sean McVay just made the major move. When you think about an offensive play caller, offensive mind, think about how can I get my offense jump-started with the easiest way to get an upgraded quarterback, even though there's some skepticism on how much better Matthew Stafford would make this offense. I think that has been answered really, really quickly. This offense is terrific with Matthew Stafford at the trigger, man. He gives them something that they didn't have. That's the vertical element. And now that you have a vertical element to go with this complimentary run game, these skilled wide receivers on the outside, it is a handful. It's like the greatest show on turf all over again. But, man, they're doing it in a phenomenal way. I'm looking forward to the battle when eventually we see the Rams and the Packers because Stafford has brought the Lions to that battle against the Packers. He's got a little different army now uh, coming with the Rams. Uh, Look, I'm going to keep it going here. You talk about decisions or risks. How about the Bengals there with that second overall pick when they had to decide, do we want to take a tackle? or Sorry, fifth overall pick. Do we want to take a tackle or a weapon? They go Jamar Chase to pair him back up again with Joe Burrow. And so far – yeah, exactly. Can we, we stopped worrying about the preseason a while ago. Uh, but with that fifth overall pick, he's been outstanding. A true number one wide out to go along with a very good core. Still upgrades needed along that offensive line. They're going to have to get that done. But at the end of the day, they chose a weapon over the wall. And so far, it's been a good, good return. And, and by the way, they are protecting Joe Burrow better this season than well, they the did last year. the sack numbers are still too They're still high. too high. Still but too still, high. I mean, like you saw in this game, now given they were without – Steelers were without T.J. Watt and that company. But on the flip side of this matchup – the other risk-reward, we kind of talk about it in, in when we're looking at the draft all the time, like are you putting the cart before the horse, yeah. right? And the Steelers, we thought, might have done that drafting Najee Harris without knowing what their offensive line was really going to come together like this year. I think four new starters, right, uh, yeah. from week from one. The oldest offensive lines to one of the youngest. E- exactly. And look, while Najee Harris has been terrific, particularly in the passing game, how about he had as many receptions mm-hmm. this week as he did carries and has not been effective really on the ground, but in this scenario where he's catching these little passes uh, out of the backfield, I mean, it's working. He had over 100 yards receiving. <laughs> Roethlisberger is just not airing the ball out down the field. These are not socially distant passes. No. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 these are in tight. No, they're not socially distant. And when you look at the hit chart, of his 58 attempts, 43 were 10 yards or fewer. 18 were at or behind the line of scrimmage. This is small ball, and what happens when you put this up there? The defense just constricts the field. They're squeezing their playmakers. They don't have enough speed in the wide receiver core. So one of the reasons why Najee Harris is getting all of the targets is because 
He's the only one that can get open. They are squatting yeah. on the Pittsburgh Steelers routes. And until Big Ben is able to do something, it's going to be – And they're be, not respecting the run game, really, not either. Not respecting it, the yeah, run game. Yeah. But one guy who they're respecting and they're respecting – In Carolina? Carolina. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's playing at a high level because, one, he has advocates. He has people in the building that want to see him succeed. They've surrounded him with playmakers and weapons, and he is thriving as a result. Back-to-back 300-yard games. And this was a huge game for him against the Houston Texans. Christian McCaffrey goes out the game, and the Panthers are forced to have Sam Darnold go from game manager, caretaker, to playmaker. And he was able to do it. And so it bodes well for their future that maybe, just maybe, he can be the QB one that everyone envisioned when he was drafted third overall. Younger than Joe Burrow, right? I mean, yeah. there, there is still plenty ahead uh, for Sam Darnold. I'm going to go to another team that's off to a great start, and that's the Denver Broncos. And go back to their draft decision. A lot of, a lot of us, myself included, thought, okay, then maybe they go the quarterback route. Right. They decide to go the veteran route with Teddy Bridgewater, and they draft Pat Sertan to play corner. And this is a defense, when you look at him, this is number three pass defense mm-hmm. in the NFL. If you're building your team to win your division and you can get the quarterback play that you've got out of Teddy Bridgewater, now you look at this pass defense. We know about the rushers they have up front, mm-hmm. but now you put him in the secondary. It's a talented group with Simmons back there at safety. In the division with the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Raiders, who can throw it as well as anybody, we might look back on that and say, man, that was a wise choice to go defense instead of offense right yeah, there. Yeah, that's when Justin Fields and Mac Jones Still there. were available after the quarterbacks went uh, one, two, and three. All right, let's finish this thing up with just you know, having a little fun here with some risky business. Keep in mind, Darius Leonard never makes business decisions. He's always risk or reward. He's going in with all he has. (laughs) Problem is, you know, Derrick Henry is, well, bigger than he is. But still, look, you're going to have some of these some of these moments as a linebacker in the NFL, especially with 22 back there. Uh, And look, he was kind of getting blocked, comes off the block and just absolutely felt the full force. I love how he's nodding. I love how he's, he's nodding. Like, yep. Afterwards. yep, you got right. me. Oh, that that is me. No wow. fear. He actually tried to take it. Look like he tried to take a punch at the ball. Yeah. I respect that, Buck. I, I mean, do respect, I respect that, too. Because you don't want to go straight up with a man who's like almost 250 pounds. Yeah, he took a swing I mean, at it. He, he, took a, he took a big swing at it. That is. And Leonard's like, never going to turn that down. I'm, yeah, he's not going to turn on the smoke. Yeah. The, look, let's be honest. There are no good options for him no. right there. No, I respect him for putting himself in that fire. The You can't even cut his legs down. So you just have to take that one. Yep. It happens. Hammering the nail. Time for our look at the rookie quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence joined Hall of Fame company and fellow number one overall picks Troy Aikman and Peyton Manning as the only quarterbacks in the last 40 seasons with two-plus interceptions in his first three games. Lawrence had two-plus interceptions on just three of his 36 college starts by comparison. Well, good news, bad news for Zach Wilson. Good, he cut his interception total in half from last week. Uh, just two picks versus the Broncos this week, and they came late. The game mostly decided. Bad news, Jets were shut out. Got no help from the run game, just 162 total yards against a really good Denver defense. Let's move on to Mac Jones, who threw his first career interception against the Saints, and then his second, and then his third. Although one, a terrible drop by Johnu Smith that led to a Malcolm Jenkins pick six right there. Uh, and the Saints leave Foxborough with a victory. So with that, let's get you our rookie report cards. All right, Bucky Brooks, sensing a theme here with Trevor Lawrence. We're in that DF category here uh, these last couple of weeks. D for Lawrence. DJ, kind of similar to last week for Zach. Cut the turnovers D. down a little bit. Yep, yep. So you moved up. <laughs> a little bit. Moved, moved up, up from the F to the grade. D. Yeah. Right? And uh, you guys are giving me some trouble. I'm grading on a curve yeah, here with Mac Jones. Look, he started out with My an goodness. A. Yeah, that was a generous B. Yes. 
See, look, he had some drops, and nobody was getting open against man coverage out on the perimeter for the Patriots. Meanwhile, for Justin Fields, safe to say he had the worst day. It was a rough one for him and this Bears offense. And when you look at it, to me, again, holding the ball, uh, the vision issues. I do love the fact that he's tough. Uh, he did protect the football even while he took those nine sacks. I don't know how to give him anything other than an F when, when you kind of look it's at the It's a collective F, though, right? A, an yeah. F is for futile for this offense. And there you go. Yeah, the offense didn't look good. And Matt Nagy takes some responsibility for that F grade because this plan, this plan certainly didn't look like it was tailored to Justin Fields. I felt like I was just watching Andy Dalton in disguise with Justin Fields there. So they got to figure out what the young quarterback can do. And if he's going to continue to start, they need to figure out a way to help him. Some quick, some screens, something. But right now, the way this offense looks, it certainly is not working for the quarterback. A little more pocket movement, maybe? Yeah, you know, just move the pocket, anything. more design something. quarterback run. Uh, Buck, one of the things I want to see, pre-snap leverage decisions. Yeah. Just be able to find soft corners. If you've got routes, find soft corners and work on that side. Too many times he's thrown into rolled-up coverage. There's inside leverage he's trying to throw in-breakers. Like, You've got to be able to look and see leverage pre-snap to help inform your decision-making. Yeah, you absolutely have to be able to see leverage. And some of the things that they can do are formation-driven, where you can put them in three-by-one sets. So he understands, let me look at the backside receiver. If I have a certain look, I'm going to go this way. If I have a different look, I'm going to go to the front side. This has to be a concerted and collective effort by the Bears to make sure that Justin Fields is successful. So one of the things play design and part of is him getting on the field and doing the work. And right now you've put him out there. So now the big decision is, how do you go forward? Yeah. If Andy Dalton is healthy, does he go back to the right. bench? All of those other things. One of the good. things I would say, I know, look, their tackles are not good. And Jason Peters tried to come back in a pinch to help this team. It, it, that's a tough assignment for him. Jermaine Effetti has, has really struggled on the other side. So they have issues up front. I know there's been a lot of criticism for how many empty snaps they went in this game. But as a quarterback, if your offensive line is terrible, you've got two options. You can keep everybody in yeah. or you can get everybody out. So I Clear don't have picture. as much issue yeah. with them doing as much empty as they did in this game. Justin Fields has to get the ball out a little bit quicker in those scenarios. They're not going to block the Browns. If they keep five in, six in, seven in, 13 in, they're not going to be able to block that front with the guys they have. Well, and look, I mean, we went back and looked at all the sacks right this morning. And, and out of the nine, would we put about five, a little more five than, than half on the quarterback. And while Miles Garrett was absolutely wrecking any matchup yeah. that he got in this game. I think you really saw the the Genevian Clowney effect, yes. too, from both sides yes. with the pressure. Not too many guys can get after it from both sides. Well, here's like the that. thing. You're not going to be able to find better tackles right now, okay? This is what you're playing with. Yeah. yeah so problem. you got to figure, figure it out. out. you got to figure right. out whether that's getting guys out. Maybe that didn't work. Let's try and keep them in. you got to try something. But this personnel is not going to improve in the middle of the season. No, the personnel is not going to improve. So then you have to figure out. How can we run the ball? Because the easiest way to protect the quarterback is play-action passing. And even though the run doesn't have to be effective, you have to commit to running it some. So can the next time out they commit to maybe giving David Montgomery 10 carries? 18 yeah, 10 carries? In this more game. carries. More carries for the, for the Bills. Only back. one way to go up. That's the positive here. Yeah. You can't go down from there. That's as bad as it gets. Yeah. Greg McElroy would disagree, who, by the way, was sacked 11 (laughs) times in his one and only uh, career NFL start as a rookie. All right. Uh, Let's keep it moving here on Move the Sticks. Let's take a look at the last five number one overall picks. Yes, the Bears, Browns, there it is. Browns had two straight from 17 to 18, both still with the team. Kyler Murray has changed the Cardinals' fortunes in a hurry. Joe Burrow picking up steam here with the Bengals. Of course, still... Getting Trevor Lawrence up to speed with the Jags. But let's really dive in on this here. And, DJ, let's start with the Browns. 
uh, because in addition to those two number one overall picks, they brought another former number one overall overall pick, Jadavian Clowney, in and uh, has really paid dividends for them early on this season. But look, you got to hit on these, right? And, And when you do... You see these kinds of results. I think about jumping in the pool. You got to go all the way down to the bottom, and you got to spring off that bottom to exactly get back right. up to the top. And right now, I look at this Browns team, and I think they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender because they've hit on these picks. Not something they always did, by the way. When you go back and look at their first round picks and their high picks that they had before those, you had look. It was not a good hit rate for the Cleveland yeah. Browns in the draft, as you see it right here. Uh, from 2011 to 2016, zero pro bowlers in that Yuck. group. No player got that second contract. So they had struggled in the draft. They got it right with those, and Miles Garrett has established himself as a premier pass rusher in this league, and Baker Mayfield's giving him a dependable, solid quarterback. Might not be an elite player. Doesn't need to be with as, as well-rounded as this roster is. Yeah, what I like about what the Browns have done is they have big-time all-star performers at a bunch of different positions, and whatever they did in the draft, they supplemented that in free agency. When you think about Austin Hooper coming over, you think about Conklin coming over, they have enough guys that are able to make plays, veteran guys that help them get going. And Kevin Stefanski has really tied it all together because the culture, the system, what he's implemented, it suits their talent. And because of that, we're seeing them play at a Super Bowl level. And, guys, how many times have we seen a quarterback drafted number one overall or not long thereafter and just not get the institutional support up front along the offensive Mm -hmm. line where the Browns have made that group into one of the very best in all of football? And then you get the run game going, too, with Nick Chubb as a second-round pick. Man, it's all coming together for the Browns. But, uh, Bucky, let's look at another team here in the Cardinals. We mentioned Kyler Murray. I mean, look – he's the type of player that will allow you to take quarterbacks number one, you know, with your first first pick in consecutive drafts, right? Yeah, back-to-back years. It was controversial because they had Josh Rosen in place, and Josh Rosen, they used a first-round pick on him. They had a conversation about him being the future quarterback, the the face of the franchise. But Kyler Murray comes in this perfect storm. Cliff Kingsbury matches up with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is dynamic and explosive, and more importantly, he's a winner. And so when you bring that infectious winning attitude with a player who also has a dynamic skill set, it juices up everybody. Then they go surrounded with playmakers. We think about the veteran players that they have around them, DeAndre Hopkins. We now are looking at A.J. Green reemerge. You think about some of the young guys, Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore. It is all beginning to work. And because the quarterback gives everybody in the building hope, they're having success. Yeah, and I think they're a step below the Browns, but they're a playoff caliber sure. team, and that's where they are in their plan. I put the Cincinnati Bengals right there with the Cardinals, which sounds kind of crazy when you think about how quickly the Cincinnati Bengals have been able to flip this thing and to get it rolling with Joe Burrow. If Joe Burrow stays healthy, I think this potentially is a playoff roster. They can score points. Uh, They're playing better defensively. This, again, you look at the different tiers. you got the Browns, and to me, the Cardinals and and the Bengals are are playoff-caliber teams. And they went out, the Bengals did, and supported their quarterback – With Jamar Chase. Chase. You know, you had T. Higgins, the same draft as Joe Burrow. So, like, you're making those concerted choices to facilitate this guy's progress, which is is great to see. Now, Bucky, you've obviously seen it uh, with your work now for the Jaguars. Look, it's still very much incomplete. Right, they're they're trying to flip they're still this in the franchise pool on their way down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, they're not even yeah, they have any, springboard. Barely, barely dip their toes in the water here with what this will eventually be. What we all think will still eventually be with Trevor Lawrence ultimately finding success. And then I think you know we see that C.J. Henderson trade, the mm-hmm. first round pick from a year ago uh, at corner, and it just it feels like a franchise still trying to institute their style, their culture, and find their path. Yeah, they're trying to find their path, and you're doing with a coach who's come from the 
collegiate game who's also trying to figure out how do you build an all-star roster like he had right. at his college stops. And so now you have Trevor Lawrence in place, which is really the biggest piece of the puzzle, the quarterback. Well, now you get the quarterback right. Now you got to spend the next year or two building the pieces around him. That means the offensive line, surrounding him with more weapons on the outside in the passing game, making sure that he has exactly what he needs and a running back behind him. And so there's a lot of stuff to be done. And the final part of it is, can you get Trevor Lawrence on the same page with the play caller? Can they find yep. a way to meet that happy medium where he's doing pro-style stuff while also still doing things that are very, very comfortable with, with his game? Yeah. And so all of this is a work in progress, which is why the Jaguars are struggling right now. Look, this year is a trial run because we've been preaching on this show and on this podcast for years, young quarterbacks need the three Ps. You need the play caller. You need the protection. You need the playmakers. I think all three after this year, Urban Meyer is going to take a step back and he's mm-hmm. going to audit the situation and say, yeah. do we have the pass catchers we need? Do we have the offensive line we need? And also, do I have the right play caller in the building? Because we saw it you know, with Jared Goff's early development. We saw the difference when you brought in the play caller. Man, that can, that can make a huge difference for some. No doubt. So that's my question. Do they have those right guys in those right spots? Man, I, just, I can't help but think that you know, the loss of Travis Etienne as a second mm. first-round pick this year, we look at all those easy completions the Steelers are getting to Najee Harris. Yeah. Maybe Etienne could have been that for them out of the backfield. Uh, or even as a slot receiver. More juice. Yeah, more they juice. They need more right. juice. More, Urban talks about a spark. They need yeah. someone who can score from anywhere on the field. Travis Etienne would have given him that player. All right, fun week three Sunday in the books. And what a game this shall be. What a week this will be for Bill Belichick, who was already asked about Tom Brady uh, following the Patriots' loss to the Saints. And for once, um, he said he's still focused on the Saints. <laughs> not moving on. He's not moving on just yet. <laughs> was not ready to answer those questions. Brady Belichick setting just about every record known to man uh, for coach and quarterback duos with their work together for two decades in New England and six Super Bowl titles. All right, so let's look ahead to this here, DJ. I mean, what do you think? What, what, what the, what's the first thing that comes to mind about this one? I, I don't recall a bigger regular season matchup in terms of the hype that this is going to warrant. Yeah. And it doesn't involve undefeated teams. It doesn't nope. involve teams in the same division or the same conference. <laughs> like, you can give you a million reasons why this game is just one of 17, Buck. Right. But this is going to be hyped up unlike anything we've ever seen. And something tells me, Tom Brady coming off last week, you're going to see a whole different Tom Brady this week. You will see a whole different Tom Brady. But this is personal, and it's personal on both sides. Bill Belichick has the luxury of knowing everything about Tom Brady. So I'm on the practice field. Mm-hmm. We have seen him come found a ton of quarterbacks in this league does he have something special for tb12 and look that's what we're all going to be talking about but the biggest mismatch in this entire game is when the patriots offense is on the field and the bucks defense is on the field they can smother you well and because the bucks vulnerability is with the deep ball we saw that against the rams here do patriots (laughs) don't do that and they the bucks have what the two of the best uh, run and tackle linebackers on the second level so all that short stuff Gobbling all that up. It, it's gobbling that up, and then the run defense, man. Uh, you, in other words, we're all leaning heavily bucks, but we're going to have about 900 more hours to discuss and preview this game it? as the week goes along, so we reserve the right to change our minds. Tom Brady's first ever game as a visitor at Gillette Stadium. Mm. This just sounds weird, doesn't it? Hey, you just think, another you game. Be amped up? Just you think he'd be amped up? You see him come out of town. You think he'd give us one of those? Oh, you know, oh, he, should. Yeah. he should. You think they're going to oh, yeah. play the Jay-Z? Uh, when he comes out of the tunnel? I don't think they're going to get that, no. but I, I don't think they'll give him that. But I do think you are going to see the reception the will be interesting. You're going to see the, the, the let's go and fist I, pump. I, I think you'll have. Do we even announce his name? If you go number 12, 
quarterback Bucks. Do we announce his name or do we? <laughs> That's going to do it for us on this edition of Move the Sticks. Thanks so much for being with us. We're back with you next Monday.